Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ubazoo Radio. Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect. He didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to another edition of Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next 60 minutes as we break down everything racing. Before we get into the racing news of the week, I want to introduce you to the panel. With me as always, Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing, coming off a big win um out west gray how are you today i'm doing great how about everybody else also back again joey barnes of motorsports tribune and indycar.com joey how are you great to have you on the show again as always good to be here and just for comic relief christopher DeHardy of motorsports tribune how are you i uh, can't complain every day i wake up is a good day that is a good day. And we have a special guest on the night, uh, Richard Uden, who uh, works uh, with Gray at Richard Childress Racing, uh, former 
uh, employee of Williams Formula One. Richard is here to help us uh, uh, sort through our preview program for Formula One. Uh, Richard is uh, very intimately involved in the sport, very knowledgeable. You will enjoy listening to Richard tonight. Richard, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. No, it's great. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you. Every, even better since uh, since last weekend. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and let's touch on that a little bit. Uh, so Ryan Newman, um, he's uh, he's got a win streak uh, or a, a winless streak that stretches for 127 races. Richard Childress Racing, uh, your streak is at about 113. Uh, you guys come in there, run a pretty solid race all day. Um, that, that last caution was six to go, and we'll touch on all that later uh, with uh, Joey and Kyle and uh, the other folks involved in there. Um, y- you know, uh, Ryan, Ryan wants a couple of tires. Uh, Luke Lambert, crew chief, says, Ryan, you're good. Um, we'll, we'll, do, uh, we'll do no tires. Stay out there. Takes the win, man. You know, um, and, and you know Ryan's no slouch. You know, even with no wins, he was in the in the chase a couple of years ago. Uh, now he's uh, put up another win. Um, you know, you know, got that monkey off your guys' back. So, uh, uh, Gray and or Richard, what do you guys jump in? Let's talk me through that uh, that Phoenix win. Well, it was it was a terrific win. Great win for the company. We'd been in a slump for the last uh, hadn't won a race in three years. Uh, came in we've we've worked hard all winter long we uh we we were encouraged by what we saw at daytona and and particularly atlanta the cars had good speed uh didn't have a uh particularly good race at vegas but we uh you know we look forward to going to phoenix where we had had done some testing in the off season um ryan you know ran pretty good during the race he kept his car solidly in the top 10 uh through most of the race and there at the end of the race uh, circumstances just fell his way. And, and, you know, we talk about this every week about, you know, you have to put yourself in position to, uh, to capitalize on circumstances. And, and that's exactly what Luke Lambert and the, and the Caterpillar Granger team did. Uh, the way the cautions fell late in the race, a lot of, most of the teams decided to come down pit road and, and, and grab at least two tires uh, Ryan was running seventh at the at the time of the caution. Had nothing to lose. Uh, they knew it was going to be a green white checker, and if he could hold off the hold off the field, get enough cars in between him and some of the faster cars, uh, he could he could hold on for a win or at least a, a, a solid top five finish. And the, and the way it uh, came about, uh, he was able to hold off a hard charging forty two Kyle Larson for the win, and uh, it was a much-needed win for our company. It really was. Right, and with that win, you get five playoff points, you know, which will pay dividends at the end of the year when we get to the playoff uh, season there. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you've knocked that win out early in the year. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, Austin Dillon and um, uh, Paul Menard there. Also, uh, you know, Dillon had a good race. Uh, Menard is still seemed like he's trying to find his way, but uh, man, congratulations to the team, and uh, Richard, what were your thoughts on uh, on that, uh, you know, Monday morning, we said, wow, you know, we finally won one after so long. Yeah, no, it, it was fantastic to uh, to come in and break that streak for, for a team of, uh, you know, Richard Childress Racing stature, and the, the number of people we've got there, and the, the level of uh, engineering capabilities that we've got within the team, it's been too long. There's no doubt about that, and it, it was great to sort of finally get that break that you know that that jinx if you like and and really go out there and, and not look into a win you know 
the 31 guys, I think they probably didn't qualify great. The car wasn't great when they got it off the truck, and they worked in an all race. And and one of the areas where I think, as a whole, as an organisation as a whole, we've maybe struggled with a little bit is is taking a car that maybe isn't a top 10 car and throughout the race working on the car and improving the car and turning a, a 20th place car into a 10th place car. But but those those guys did that last weekend and they worked really well at that and that was great to see and you know you get yourself in the top 10 like that and when there is that green white checker who knows what's going to happen and I don't know all the numbers and I don't know the statistics but I I think I get the feeling that if there is that green white checker then you know being in that fifth sixth seventh place when that comes out that puts you in the in the box seat to to get that win because you can react to what the guys up front do and and it's a great position to be in and they worked really really hard and and Ryan really got dragged that car through through the race. And I mean, I know he was, as a lot of the guys were, they were suffering after that race. It was hot out there. It was hard work. And they just wanted to get home. And for that green-white checker to come out at the end and the, that caution, they must have been thinking, oh, I just want to I want to get back on the plane and, and get home and relax. But, uh, you know, for us, guys, for, for us it, it really worked out. And it was it was great to see. Yeah, it was great to see. And then, then right behind him we had um, Kyle Larson um, up there, uh, another runner-up spot, I believe it's his third out of the last four races. Ricky Stenhouse, um, right up there, taking a fourth place. Uh, nearly had a shot at the win. Uh, those two, uh, you know, a little minor contact there, give Ryan a little breathing room to just go ahead and uh, nail down the win. But, uh, you know, good job to the Ganassi team as well, and, and to Stenhouse. We haven't seen Stenhouse mixing up front quite enough. No, we haven't, and and you know it was it was we. That's the thing. That's the neat thing about about NASCAR right now. There are so many competitive cars, and and that's when you throw that many cars in, in, into the mix, and you throw them in a bag and shake them up, and then you have those circumstances fall like they do the the, the late cautions and people making this, the strategic decisions whether to come down and get get tires, two tires, four tires, or no tires at all. Uh, you know, you never you never know what what's going to happen and how these races are going to end. So I thought it was I thought it was a very uh, is entertaining race to watch. We 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 saw again. Uh, Guys like uh, Ryan Blaney and uh, Chase Elliott uh, show their strength. And again, we just talked about Carl, uh, Kyle Larson. Uh, the, the young guns, if you will, uh, ran well in the race. Um, so, yeah, it, I thought it was a pretty entertaining race from, 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 start, from start to finish. Uh, again, like Richard alluded, it was very hot out there. We saw some, uh, saw some problems uh, come up with uh, that, that I don't think some of the teams were – were quite prepared for uh, with the new uh, with the new uh, downforce rules, uh, you know, with and, and you know had some brake issues uh, befall some of the cars out there. So, uh, but that's that's just part of the learning curve with this new package. And we'll move on to uh, to uh, Fontana to to the to another intermediate track and uh, see how it goes out there. All right. Well, I, you know we. Um... We generally spend a lot of time on NASCAR uh, on this show, um, and we, we are going to circle back to NASCAR a little later in the program. Um, but, you know, this coming weekend, uh, Formula One will begin their season at Albert Park down in Melbourne. Uh, for those of us in the States, we'll watch that in the middle of the night, uh, as we are used to. Um, but uh, let's let's talk about uh, Formula One. There have been a lot of changes uh, in the off season. you know, with the number one being the um, – the world champion retired, um, left open a prime seat at Mercedes, uh, not to mention 
Bernie Ecclestone is now out of the picture. Liberty Media has purchased the primary assets of Formula One. And we've got a bunch of rule changes coming up uh, for this season. They're going to make the cars much faster than we've ever seen them. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, um, there's a bunch of topics we can start on. Richard, I want to throw it to you. You worked in Formula One for some time. Um, you you know, you grew up over the pond. Uh, you grew up watching Formula One. Um, just just pick a topic and let's, uh, let's start discussing one. Yeah, I, I think uh, some of the points you mentioned there with the changes we're seeing for this year, it's going to be a fantastic season. I think it's, it's a little bit of an unknown. But what you're starting to see is the teams becoming more and more professional. Historically, when you've had a big rules package change, there's been a, a team come out of nowhere to win the championship or be extremely competitive. You know, you only have to look back seven or eight years and you saw uh, what the Braun team achieved uh, on a very, very small budget with just by playing the game. They realised back in 2008 that they didn't have a competitive car for that season. They they realised there was a new rules package coming on board and, and they pushed to that and it worked for them. It took everybody else five or six races to catch up and by then they'd made a lead which nobody else could really... Uh, pass and uh, but I don't think you're going to see that this year I think people hoping for a, a change to the Mercedes domination you're not going to get that they're going to be there thereabouts I know in pre-season testing there's been a lot of talk of Ferrari's competitive competitiveness which is great for the sport everybody loves to see those red cars up at the front competing for championships and you know competing for race wins they've got two fantastically talented drivers uh, out there, arguably two of the most natural, naturally talented drivers uh, on the grid. So hopefully they'll be able to push that. Red Bull, you still think they're going to be hampered by the uh, by the by the Renault uh, engine package, but Renault have made improvements. But you know what, Mercedes have made improvements as well, and they're going to be there or thereabouts. They have the resources, and they have the funding that no other team has. I mean, their budgets. You can't imagine the sort of money that they can spend in there, not only with their chassis development, but also their engine development side. And it's going to be very, very hard to get that world title away from, from them for any of their teams. Richard, I had a question for you. You know, you know, We have Australia as the first race of the year. What's the kind of atmosphere that they're going to have in the paddock? Because it's, it's sort of like a back-to-school feeling, isn't it? Or how, how is it for y'all? Because, I mean, you worked with Williams for a couple of years. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's a relief almost, you know, in any form of motorsport, your busiest year is from November through to February, March time. Everybody who doesn't work in motorsport always jokes about, oh, you must take Christmas off. It's like, no, they are the worst times of the year to be working because you've got a deadline. They don't move that race. That race is going to go ahead whether you're ready or not. And you, you work tirelessly hour after hour after hour weekends you know you don't see your families on weekends like you normally would like to and it's such a relief to actually get out there and go through the motions and and get everything done that it's just it's a great feeling for the guys out there and and testing really is where it's at and obviously testing these days is is limited to two weeks of the year so you've got such a huge amount of work to, to cram into such a small space of time that when you actually get to the race Maybe not so much Australia, but certainly once you get back to the European races, races you just go through the motions. You have a predetermined schedule that we, you will run for the weekend, and the cars these days are so reliable that you'll go through that schedule and you'll collect the data you want and it'll help you with your setups. There's, 
there's not much activity at the racetrack these days. It's it's all, you know, during testing. So once you get to Melbourne, it's a relief. And it's a bit of a chance to see where everybody else is in reality. You know, have Ferrari been sandbagging over the winter? Have Mercedes been doing that? Who's, you know, where's Red Bull with their engine? Where's some of the other teams? You know, the Williams, Force India, Toro. So where are they fighting in that midfield pack? How much trouble are McLaren really in? That's that's what people find out. But it's from the guys that work there, it's just relief to get back to work. You know, the, the guys that travel with the race team, that's what they do. And they just want to get back out there and um, be competitive. Yeah, I mean, I think whenever I look at, at preseason testing and I try to look and gauge where everybody is at the start of the season in Australia this weekend, I, I put a little bit of stock in Ferrari. Um, I put more stock in Mercedes reliability. Yes. But I think there's question marks concerning the fact that they they didn't they're not bringing the motor that they tested with or the power unit that they tested with to uh, Australia or they didn't have it in preseason testing. They're bringing a new power unit to Australia. All the Mercedes teams are going to have that, and maybe there's a little bit of doubts about that. But let's be honest, uh, like you alluded to with the, with the R and D and the amount of money they can spend, they're certainly not going to put something out there that has more question marks than answers. And, you know, so when I'm looking at this, I, I feel like Mercedes has the reliability, but I do feel like Ferrari is there a little bit on speed, uh, just based off the fact that on the same tire compounds, Ferrari's pulling the best overall lap seven tenths quicker, uh, roughly. And I, I think there's some, some merit to that. Uh, last year, we could see that Ferrari could keep up with Mercedes if it was if they were on super softs and Mercedes was on softs. But the second they're on the same sets, Mercedes leaving them. I feel like the best thing we could hope for right now is a little bit of parity at the front. And I think the new rules have kind of bunched that back up. And that all said, um, these guys were blazing fast in preseason testing. I mean, you're talking about four seconds faster than pole speed, and that's in testing. I mean, there's no telling what we're going to get when these guys unload in Barcelona for real for the Grand Prix in April or, or early May. And, um, Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. You know, you had also alluded to reliability, and I think there's certainly some questions to be said for Honda and the McLaren situation because right now they're in pretty dire straits, and that that relationship is starting to become a little toxic. And I just, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what you think about the situation going on over there, Richard. And and do you feel like this is a team that can find their footing, or or is this kind of like an all for naught, and we're going to see this phased out by year's end? It's a very difficult um, situation I think McLaren find themselves in. 
you, you have to be realistic that if you want to be a world championship winning team, in reality, you cannot be a customer team. You are never going to get a team or a company putting the money into place like Mercedes have with their own team after they bought Braun. They were never going to allow another team to beat them. So for a team like Williams or Force India, it's great to have the Mercedes backing and certainly Williams and Force India's um, progress over the last few years has been fueled by that Mercedes engine deal. But from a McLaren point of view, they needed something different. And the Honda came on board, Honda were looking at them, and I understand why they made that decision, because they wanted to go at themselves and they wanted to put themselves in a position where they could be competitive. You look at the reliability issues and the, I'm going to say the similarities back to when Honda bought BAR back in the early 2000s. I was working there at the time, that was my first job out of college, was working at uh, BAR Honda. And there's a lot of parallels going on there. It was always a very, very difficult working relationship between what was arguably the same team. I mean, it was the Honda Works team. It was running under the Honda banner. And there was a lot of support coming from Japan. But there was never that effective working environment, I think, is is a good thing to say there. It was always a little bit tense. You always felt like the engineers from Honda were maybe being told to hide hide certain things from us. And if, if that same thing's happening now with McLaren, it's doomed to failure, unfortunately. I'd hoped because McLaren's one of the great traditional teams and it's, it's only right that they are competitive in Formula 1 and they have a very, very big fan base. They have some extremely talented engineers and everybody wants to see McLaren fighting with the likes of Ferrari, Williams, Mercedes, Red Bull up there. If you have a different winner every weekend, it's great for Formula 1. If, if you look at... You know, Fernando Alonso does not need to be sat a driver of his talent, who some people would still consider is the most talented driver in Formula One today. You don't want him running around in, in 15th, 16th, 17th, fighting with a, a no disrespect to Toro Rosso or a Haas or a Renault. You know, you want to see him up there going wheel to wheel with Hamilton, going wheel to wheel with Vettel, and not only when he's lapped. You know, you want to see him up there. So. I don't know what's going to happen there. Something's got to give, and something will give very, very quickly. Whether it is there's rumours about a Mercedes deal being put back together, uh, or whether Honda do finally get it, for want of a better word, and put them, you know, give the money, give the resources, give the mentality that is is needed um, to to succeed. Uh, I hope they do. I really hope they do. You know, I, I look at this season and. I, this season very much favors to me the works teams, the factory teams, the Ferraris, the Mercedes, uh, technically the Red Bull, even though they're kind of a unique situation over there. Um, but I look at everything, and one of the moves that I think over the offseason, we all know about Valtteri Bottas coming over to to Mercedes to replace Nico Rosberg, the former last year's world champion. I think one of the biggest moves that isn't getting talked about enough is Patty Lowe returning to Williams. And he is he talked about how there's a lot of similarities to what Mercedes does. And even though the, the budget's not there, obviously, uh, but you also look at, at certain things that they're doing, they bring Massa back for another year. Uh, he's on retirement tour number two now. And um, 
you know, you got a rookie in Lance Stroll, which everybody wants to condemn the kid for, for hitting everything and spinning, but at least he's trying to find the limit of the car, and he's not just going to, you know, lean back to, to be mired in a normalcy. So uh, I look at this situation and Patty Lowe, I almost feel like it's a trade that happened for maybe a, a one-off uh, deal or a one-year deal where Botas is over at Mercedes and Patty Lowe's there to help raise the program because they're using Mercedes power. And I know that maybe the word trade isn't the natural case, but what is your overall takeaway of Patty Lowe being over at Williams? I think it's a fantastic opportunity for Williams to, to gain the inside information of somebody who's been so instrumental in the success at, uh, at Mercedes. There's no doubt that, from having spent a couple of years working with that team, yes, you're right in what you say. They don't have the budget of a Mercedes or a Red Bull or a Ferrari. And if you look over the last three or four years, if you did a dollar per point table, they'd be they'd be in the probably second. I mean, Mercedes have just amassed so many points that they're always going to win that. But they're extremely competitive on their budget, and to get somebody in there with that experience of the big team is fantastic. You know, Williams do a lot of things right. They don't make many mistakes. You know, you, you look at their pit stops, for example. You know, last year they won, I think they had the fastest pit stops at 12 or 13 races throughout the season. They do things right. They do things effectively. They don't often be, bring bad upgrades to a car. They, 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 they do things in the right way. And that'll give somebody like Paddy Lowe the opportunity to, to go there and and look at what they've got. And he's already turned around in, in, in the press and said that there's some things that Williams do better than Mercedes. And, uh, you know, that, that's a, a real testament to, to Frank and to Claire Williams now, who's, who's taken a, a bigger role in the organisation. And some of the people that have been there, I mean, I know guys that have been there since the 80s and 90s. And there's a really good core of solid people there. And bringing somebody in with, with Paddy's experience is going to be fantastic for the team and it'll hopefully give them a lift. And, and really try to push them, especially on the development side, and make those developments a little bit more aggressive, maybe. And, uh, you know, look at the aero side. The last couple of years with that Mercedes power, they've been very, very effective at the high-speed tracks. You know, they've always been competitive at Monza and uh, Spa and places like that. And they need to start picking up points at Monaco and Hungary and Singapore and places like that. And, and hopefully... Paddy can bring that bit of operational direction to, to help at every track, not just uh, the ones that suit that Mercedes power plant. Yeah, and I want to shift gears a little bit over to, to the Ferrari power plants. Uh, obviously, the factory team over there looks revamped. The car, to me, looks beautiful. I, I love the aggressive nature, the bold look of these new cars being brought on. Uh, but we, you had alluded to it. Um, I know, I believe it was just before we got on, it's talking a little bit about Haas, or maybe it was just at the top of the show. Um, it also all kind of running together here. But uh, talking about Haas and kind of the the partnership they have with Ferrari, as well as, you know, they're getting their, their chassis from Delara, the same chassis manufacturer that does stuff over at the IndyCar um, series over here in the, in the U.S. When I look at everything, though, I can't help but wonder – They've got the Ferrari 062, the upgraded model, the same that the works team has, but Sauber's left at the 061, yet they can have a, a reserve driver uh, from Ferrari, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, uh, come over and kind of sub in for Pascal Airline just because of that situation. I mean, how I feel like Haas, um, before I get into how much Ferrari has to gain, uh, 
overall when you really look at what their resources is compared to Mercedes uh, with the depth of Williams and Force India. Uh, before I get to that, I wanted to ask you, when you look at Haas, is this one of the teams, like we all know that they stopped middle of the year last year with development of the car to focus on 2017. There wasn't a whole lot of wherewithal from a lot of teams on the grid that didn't have the budget and the resources to continue development for last year. And Ferrari's been starting their stuff since late 2015 on the on this car that debuted uh, in Barcelona. I guess to get to the point is, do you feel like Haas has the widest range of all the teams on the grid? I mean, they're an American team. They did really stout at the beginning of the year last year, but you know, gone is Grosjean's race strategist uh, middle of the year last year. Do you feel like they're a team that can compete with the other privateer teams, the Force Indias and the and the Williams? I think that eventually it'll undoubtedly happen. I think that uh, they've done remarkably well and to achieve the early success they did at uh, the start of last season. And as you say, like a lot of these midfield teams, you know, that they, they backed off development knowing there was a new rules chain, rules package coming up for this year and try to try to get ahead of the curve a little bit. And unfortunately, if everybody does the same thing, you, you sit on that curve, you don't get ahead of it. And, not to put a, a downer onto what they've achieved, because that would be very unfair. They, they did achieve a lot at the start of last year. But I remember around about this time last year, uh, one of the uh, networks over here, which which covers a lot of motorsport, did a behind-the-scenes uh, documentary on, on, on Haas going through their first few pre-season tests. And when you look at the guys they've got working there, obviously Gunter Steiner as being the, their main man and... I was watching that show and probably half of the guys I recognized uh, are from working in other teams and being around the motorsport industry. So, you know, they're not a completely new team. They've got a lot of experience there with a lot of backing and a lot of very, very smart guys who know what it takes to be successful. And where I think Gene Haas has got to take a lot of credit, he didn't turn around in September and say, hey, guys, I'm going to enter next season i've got six months to build a car from scratch and we're going to be be on the, the grid in australia he said well now i'm going to take 18 months and i'm going to do this right and i'm going to do this diligently and i'm going to take my time and invest a little bit more money now up front and i think they saw the rewards for that you look at the last team to do that really was toyota and you could argue that they never really achieved their potential with the amount of money they were putting in but they did do it the right way and when in I believe it's 2010, you had those three small teams come in with HRT, Caterham and Virgin, as it was at the time. They've all gone now because they tried to rush it. There was the prize there to get that money. The prize is so big that they rushed everything to try and get there. And and credit's got to go to Gene House for taking his time, doing it properly. And they, they will see the benefit of that. And they've got to take advantage of some of the teams like McLaren struggling and and like some of the other bigger teams struggling a little bit and steal points from those guys. And, you know, Sauber, as you, you mentioned earlier, with that Ferrari link, they're struggling. Um, and so so a, a team like Haas has got to try and take advantage of that, get those points on the board early when other teams may be struggling with reliability. And Sauber has this older power plant. I don't know if there's any potential for them to upgrade at some point uh, in the season to a more powerful unit. And that'll obviously put a bit of pressure on Haas because to a certain extent... You can only really compare yourself against the against the cars with the same engine package as yourself. So, you know, Williams have looked; they look to compete against Mercedes and compete against Force India and compete against the other Mercedes grouped cars. And and Haas are the same. They obviously can't really compete with Ferrari on resources, but if you if they're up against Cyber with the same engine, 
that's who they've got to try and compete against. For for those listeners that don't know, what Richard was alluding to on on the payouts, uh, whenever you mentioned HRT and Caterham and all them coming in, uh, at one point in F1 we had twelve or thirteen teams on the grid, and championship payouts for constructor standings at the end of the season would only focus on the top ten. So that that's what Richard was alluding to was the battle to get into that top ten because I believe the bottom guy in tenth place still got a ten million dollar payout at, for for a long time. I know that was the case, but I know that they've always adjusted that a little bit. Correct. Yeah, I mean that, that fundamentally, if you want to be blunt about it, the I believe it was the Brazilian, Brazilian Grand Prix at the end of last year where where Sauber got those points to beat uh, the uh, the Manor. That basically is what put Manor out of business. I, I firmly believe that if Manor had held on to that tenth uh, place in the championship and got the money that came with with that, uh, they would still be around and they're still in existence. Now, you could argue that maybe Sauber wouldn't have been in existence. Uh, it's a very, very cutthroat industry, and that's part of the legacy that Bernie carries over. And I know you mentioned earlier, you know, with Liberty coming in to, to run the sport and uh, Bernie being, I would say, stepping away, but more likely being forced out. Uh, that's a big, big change to the sport. It's going to be interesting to see what route those guys uh, take the sport. You know, we, we look at uh, you know the grid. There's there's a ton of storylines up and down this thing, and we've we've already touched on several of them. But one that that's kind of being overlooked, and this is probably the last one before we start kind of reeling into Australia a little bit. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg moves from Force India, uh, you know, a private, a really good private team that has really hit above their weight the last few years. And, and he goes to Renault, which is you know further down the grid. Last year was the first year. It's the former Lotus F1 team. And we all know about kind of how fun that was back in the day with Eric Boulier and Grosjean and Raikkonen. But um, things have evolved a little bit. And now they're the primary works team for Renault, who still badges engines to, to or still goes to Red Bull engines and Toro Rosso engines. Although I know Red Bulls is badged by Tag Heuer. Um, all things in consideration do you feel like this is a team that, I mean, Nico Hulkenberg's been struggling for a while to get that first podium and a knock on the door. you feel like this is the smart move by him, not moving to another private team, but trying to get with the works team and, and rolling that into maybe something since no no top-level team really wants to take a look at him like they did with Botas? Yeah, it's an interesting situation because you listen to all the experts and all the, com- all the commentators, and they'll say that, you know, excuse me, Hulkenberg is the best driver outside of a top team and he's been that for quite some years now but there's been plenty of opportunities come up to go to a top team and he's over, has always been overlooked so so maybe there is something to that maybe there's a reason why he keeps being overlooked but when you obviously have ambition like any any driver does at this level they want to be competitive they want to win races they want to win championships maybe being at a as i mentioned earlier with the mclaren situation if you are a team that is a customer team there's maybe a limit that you can work to whereas if you go to a a works team such as Renault that probably that ceiling that you can aim for is probably a lot higher in reality Um, and maybe that's part of the thinking there's also possibly a financial uh, incentive as well there who who knows Um, but you listen to people and they say what a great talent he is and oh he should be in a top car he should be in a top car well there's been, you know, since he came onto the scene, there's been half a dozen top seats become available. Why has nobody ever gone for him? Why has nobody made that move? I, I don't know. 
Um, I mean, I hope he does well. I think he's a very, very talented driver. It'd be interesting to see how he, he gets on. I, I fear that he will quite comprehensively beat Julian Palmer. Uh, I think being very, very ruthless about it, I think Julian Palmer is relatively lucky to still have the drive uh, in that car. I think he was beaten by uh, Kevin Magnussen quite comfortably last year. And obviously, if Magnussen hadn't moved to, to the Haas team, I believe that uh, Palmer would have been out. But, uh, you know, you never know. He may surprise us this year. But I think Hulkenberg should have the beating of him. And I think it, if, the, if the Renault can uh, deliver on some of their investments that they've been talking about, they've been talking about recruiting 200 more staff in the next two seasons, I believe. So if they can put that investment in and, and make it work, then that could be a great move for him. But, uh, yeah, everybody rates him really highly. But I do question why that big move has never come along. And, you know, we're getting ready for Australia here this weekend. Um, I, I want to get your take, obviously, first, Richard, on this, and then I kind of want to go around the table. What, what is your expectations, and, and what do you think, how do you think the race is going to play out on Sunday? As much as I'd like to see it and as much as everybody else would like to see it, I, I think it's going to be a Mercedes win. I think the Ferraris will be quick, but I, I, I really do think that Mercedes, with their upgraded engine they're bringing, with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To the track and these days you don't get five or six cars finishing Australia. you like you used to 10 years ago. You're going to get 12, 13, 14, 15 cars finishing Australia. So the, the chances of maybe a, a look, a, a fluke winner or a, a lucky lucky point for a you know back in the day when minardi used to always sort of try and clinch a point at australia that they're gone so you're going to look at the reliability levels uh and mercedes ahead and shoulders with everybody else on that level so you feel that's going to be mercedes race to lose ferrari will be closer than they maybe have been in previous years red bull a little bit of an unknown but they're never going to be far away you know can the likes of williams and force india maybe you know, push push Red Bull a little bit harder than uh, than you've seen uh, in the last couple of years. Who knows? But um, I think it's going to be Mercedes win. Um, it'd be great to see a Vettel Hamilton battle. You know, even hey, you may see a that that um, rekindling of the uh, the Bottas and Raikkonen uh, um, confrontations that we've seen in the past. Those guys to, tend to seem to trip over each other when they get near uh, near themselves on the track. So. Because you are in interesting battles, but uh, I think if you're looking for a race winner, it's 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 going to be one of those Mercedes. I think well, it's probably a good bet that Mercedes is going to be in front. But you know, I, I was kind of you know just like going through all the rule changes. You know, we've got a car that's longer and wider uh, with wired wider tires. Uh, we've added both aerodynamic grip and mechanical grip. I mean, is is overtaking going to be something that we're going to see more of, or perhaps less of, with the added arrow? I think everybody'd hoped with these big fat tires that uh, you're going to see more overtaking. But from talking to a lot of the, or from not talk, from listening to uh, to the interviews with a lot of the drivers, they say it's going to be harder. And 
these days there's so much money in in the sport and the simulators especially are so complex and so precise that every driver out there in the top teams that have these simulator capabilities will have driven that race tens of times and they'll know the dynamics of the cars they'll know the handling characteristics they'll they'll they know exactly what to expect so these days you don't get these shocks and i don't think overtaking is going to be improved massively um and i think that's where you know guys like ross braun coming into the more of the managerial side of the sport with his knowledge and his connections and his his experience will hopefully be able to uh, improve overtaking going forward i mean he's he turned around and admitted that he's not a fan of the excuse me the drs system and he wants to get rid of that as quickly as possible and and bring it back to pure racing and and really give the drivers an opportunity to attack and an opportunity to pass um so i really at the start of the season i don't think he's going to see much change i, I really don't yeah i, I was reading some of Lewis's comments, particularly after the first week of, of testing in Barcelona, where he, he stated that, you know, in, until they take start to remove some of the downforce on these cars, we're going to see pretty much uh, the same thing we've seen the last several years. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see any ch- any massive changes. You're not gonna, it's not going to be like a, you know, 20 lead changes throughout the course of the race. You may get the other one or two, but the pit stops are still going to be the main aim. And from from looking at some of the uh, testing times, these new tyres are so durable. There's going to be a lot of one-stop races, so you're not going to see many lead changes. And again, the there's so much money in the, the, the supercomputers that these teams use to look at strategy predictions. You're not going to get the off-the-wall strategy like, like we saw at Phoenix last week. You're not going to see these guys throwing a curveball in there because – They've done all the modelling. They they know which is the optimum strategy, and they're all going to go for the same one because it just works. Um, so it's it's almost the sport is almost too clinical and too precise uh, to, to be entertaining. As horrible as it is to say, it is going to struggle until it can get back to a more random set of racing circumstances. But the problem is still. You still want to see the fastest cars win because they deserve to win. Um, it's it's difficult. Um, who, however, the the new owners view the sport and however they try and change it, they've got to be very very careful that they don't over you know turn it into a gimmick or turn it into a uh, you know false falsify the racing. And, and thankfully, with Ross Brown's comments about removing that DRS, hopefully that's not going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at the situation. I think one thing that we have to make note of here is unlike a lot of racing series, racing divisions uh, throughout the world, you know, the FIA uh, governs a lot of that sport um, make sh- to, to kind of keep a little bit of, of levelness, if you will, to make sure nothing is going to get too too dramatic or too radical. Um, that all said, though, I, I, I mean, all those are really great points by everybody. I, I think that the one substitute that we're not gonna that we don't get in simulators that we're gonna have on the track that may show itself later in the race, maybe not definitely not early, but I, I think the element of the G loads that these guys are facing in the corners, uh, where we're seeing a very high increase in G force go from four Gs to, to reported six Gs in the corners. And and in some cases that's what we see the IndyCar series do at ovals like Phoenix and Texas and, and things of that sort. So I mean that's a massive G load to have on you for a good hour and a half, two hours, if these guys are running three and a half, four seconds quicker. 
um, that's certainly going to, I think, show itself. I know y'all y'all have alluded to the durability of the tires. That's the only real concern that I have about this year. Is I wish, I understand that we don't want to make a tire that's going to fall too easy or fall too much because we, we run the risk of it falling apart and could could happen in a run and we could create some sort of injury. But I, we've got smart engineers at Pirelli. We've got smart engineers all over the world that deal with tires and, and the different rubber compounds. I would love to see a bigger cliff, um, whether that be at five laps, whether that be at 10 laps, whatever the case is, to bring in a little bit of involvement, a little bit of that strategy where, you know, whether you're on the yellow banded or the red banded, uh, super soft, softs, inner, you know, whatever the case might be. But when I, when I look, go ahead. No, no, I totally agree on those points. I think they're, they're very good. And I think with the endurance one, from a, a physical perspective, I think you look at what Mercedes did, and for the majority of the testing, Mercedes split their drivers morning and afternoon. And in one of the interviews, I mean, Hamilton was saying that he was having bruises on parts of his body. He didn't know he could get a bruise. You know, he was really, really struggling. And that's interesting. That's going to be a, a big challenge, especially when they get to some of the, the hotter races, like Malay or the high humidity races in Malaysia's uh, places like that. It's going to be tough on these guys, and that that's what you need. You know, that's what you want. These guys are supposedly the, the, the best drivers in the world, and you want to see them push the limit. Um, and with the tyres, they can keep pushing the car to the limit. You, you want to try and get away from a, a, a sport that is driven by strategy and driven by managing a car you don't you know these are these aren't called car managers they're called car racers you, know, you want them racing you want them pushing the limits of themselves and the cars and if those tires are durable then that's what you need it's i know exactly what you the, the point you're trying to raise there with putting a cliff onto the tires but again it goes back to the finances and resources you know, a smaller team won't be able to have as many tire engineers and simulation engineers who can predict these things, whereas the Mercedes and the Ferraris and the Red Bulls, they'll have the resources to do tire management strategy, to understand tire fall-off and tire degradation far, far better. Um, you always want to get to a stage where you randomize the tire. You don't know what compound of tire you're getting. You know, make the driver work it out and react to it i mean it's you could argue that it's not particularly fair but make them do something like that uh who knows you know i don't know just an idea that i just thought of throw it out there see how these guys can react to being put in a difficult situation you know i i couldn't agree more on that and a lot of the reason i was alluding to the to the cliff and the, and the different tire strategy there is because we're running into a world in f1 where we're we're having to manage fuel like Here's your fuel for the whole race. Don't run out. You have to come back yeah. with what, two liters or something like that. Something and, like that. And the rate and, at which you use it as well is limited. I think it's you can't use it at more than a hundred liters an hour or whatever the number. I can't remember. There is yeah, a. I mean, there is a set consumption rate as well as an overall rate. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and it's asinine to. We're going to limit the greatest drive. We're going to hamstring the greatest drivers in the world. Like, let's bring the Formula One. It's it, there's an emphasis on one here. Uh, yeah. There's a reason this is the pinnacle of motorsport. This isn't Formula E. We're not here to change batteries. Um, <laughs> you know, we're we're here to sit there and watch these guys light it up and go get it. Um, and I think that's what the sport needs. Whether, I mean, I fully agree. Let's put the tires on. Let it be durable. Fill that thing up and let them go. And let's let's dictate who the greatest are out there. Um, that that all said, though, um, I, I know we're kind of 
running up to where we got to get over to some other segments here shortly. But um, talking a little bit about Australia, I know you had alluded to your stuff uh, earlier about you think Mercedes is going to be pretty pretty impactful this weekend. I'm actually going to disagree with you on it, um, mostly just to keep things interesting. I you know it's it's 2017. It's Kimi Raikkonen's probably going to be his last year. I love the pace that I'm seeing. Ferrari let one go last year in Australia, and they know it. Um, and there's there's no time but the right time at the beginning of things to, to get it going. And I think that Ferrari's going to make it happen. I think you're going to look at Botas, play teammate for now. Uh, that way he doesn't upset the powers that be for this opportunity. But I do think that Daniel Ricciardo gets his first podium in Australia. Uh, surprisingly enough, hasn't happened because, let's not forget, even though he did really well that one year, he got penalized and that was negated. So, um, as, which was really unfortunate because I think that was his debut race with Red Bull. Um, but So I think all that happens. I think Red Bull's pace is going to be a little off of what Ferrari and, and Mercedes can do, but we all know that that's short-lived in an Adrian Newey machine. No, very, very much so, yep, very much so. I think it's going to be good. And I, I, I don't think, uh, I think the comment about Valtteri there playing, uh, playing the, the, the teammate role, I, I'm not so sure. I think he's not as quick as Hamilton. I think there's maybe a couple of tenths in there, but uh, he's not going to be you know, afraid to... Uh, to stick his nose in there and um, you know give Hamilton a hard time. I, I really don't. I think he's that Finnish, that Scandinavian attitude that you know <laughs> he doesn't care. You know he's like, hey, I'm I'm here to race, and uh, he'll do that. And uh, you know, a little bit biased. I, I worked with Valtteri for a couple of years, and he's a great guy, and he's a you know he's a very very fast driver. And a lot of people at Williams were sad to see him go. But at the end of the day, you know, the money talks. The money they got for him was. Uh, was a lot of money and they'll be able to use that in in a lot of ways to help develop the team and keep a lot of jobs in intact which is you know what a company like Williams prime, primary job is to employ people but I think he'll uh, he'll do good there he'll he'll give Hamilton a bit of a headache at times and one thing you alluded to a little bit I'm I'm excited to see Williams uh, before we move on Williams with Massa showed some super pace uh, in, in the second week of testing. And I think that they could be a sleeper, at least early in the season, to really do some damage and really pick up some valuable points. Because I, I think we all know fourth to about eighth in the constructor standings this year, and we might even see it on Sunday, it's going to be an absolute dogfight between all those teams, the private teams, the mixes of the Toro Rossos, the Renault, the Force India, the Haas, maybe even McLaren if they can get their Honda program on track. Uh, so I'm I'm excited for Sunday. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, I think, yeah, of, I think of all the, the so-called second-tier or third-tier teams, I you know, I think that uh, Moss Ed Williams is um, probably you know, right up there. And, uh, you know, and a guy like Lance Stroll coming into the team, you know, young guy, he needs to have, uh, he needs to have that mentor with him. And, and he's, you know, in, in, in Moss, what, what better can he ask for? So uh, you know, hopefully that'll help this young man's career. But I don't think I think Moss has got another good season in him. He was sure he, you know, waved everybody goodbye at Brazil and, and whatnot. But now he's back in the car. Um, you know, good on him. He's um, yep. he's not the first race driver that's uh, retired and said, "Oh God, I missed the cockpit already." So um, Mark Martin. Mark Martin retired for yeah. His retirement took a good fifteen years. <laughs> so, um, but uh, but if you got to ask me, I I say um, you know Albert Park uh, Botas takes it to Hamilton, takes the win um, in his first race with Mercedes. I could be right, I could be wrong. We'll find out on uh, 
in the middle of the night Saturday. Are we going to do picks for uh, Australia? Yeah, that's what we're doing. Officially? I was waiting for somebody to jump in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, from from my perspective, I hope we see the season get started off with a bang, create create some interest right off the start, and I hope uh, when when it's it's all said and done, uh, the bells are ringing in Marinello. I'm going to say uh, Botas um, on this one, quite frankly. I think uh, he's overdue for his first win. Yeah, I think he could be. I'm going to go for, uh, I'm going to go for Valtteri as well. I think he'll, uh, he'll, he'll upset Lewis a little bit, and uh, Lewis will go off in a bit of a sulk, and uh, yeah. <laughs> He'll he'll go back to his motor home and his and his dog and uh, cry that one out. I think Valtteri will do him this weekend. I, I got to ask one thing before we move to IndyCar, and I know I'm prolonging this, but this is something that I think uh, perfect to ask. David Coulthard had said uh, maybe he's not the right guy on this one, but um, you know he had said to a European uh, newspaper online deal about he thinks that Hamilton if life embraces him enough or catches his eye and that he could possibly leave the sport mid-season, I, I don't think that that's um, legitimate, if that makes any sense. Uh, Richard, um, I mean, you being a part of the sport, I mean, are, is that, I mean, does life attract these guys, these F1 drivers way more than we think? Or, I mean, cause to me, Lewis Hamilton's a racer, even though he's kind of a prima donna. Yeah, I, I think, I think Lewis will be, devastated by Rosberg's retirement. I think after losing that world championship last year, Hamilton would have wanted the opportunity to beat Rosberg at 17 or 18 races this year, however many there are. He would have been so driven and so determined. I I think he could have probably found another two or three tenths of a second over the winter just by that motivation. And that's gone now. The chances are if, if everything goes according to, to, to where the drivers are, you know, Hamilton should beat uh, Bottas reasonably com- comfortably. And you could argue the only reason Rosberg won the championship last year was a little bit of unreliability look at the start of the year. And then, of course, that engine failure that um, Hamilton had in uh, Malaysia, I believe, where he was cruising to the win. So, you know, Hamilton has lost that target, that aim and that desire and that passion to to... To, to beat somebody, to I don't want to use the word destroy, but to really, I, I know Hamilton hurt last year. He that was his championship. He should have won that championship on pace, and Rosberg won it on endurance. And Hamilton would have been so motivated to go out there and beat Rosberg that you know does he is he going to struggle to motivate himself this year? If he gets in a battle with the teammate, it'll probably that will probably re, be rejuvenated, but. Uh, you know, I know he spends a lot of time in America and in California at uh, a lot of these Hollywood and uh, Hollywood style parties and appearances and the like, and and maybe that that lifestyle will tempt him over and and lure him away from Formula One. I hope it doesn't because I think he's a fantastic driver and he deserves to be out there still. But um, there there could be that that lack of motivation because his his goal has gone um and yeah there may be that uh, you know his head may be turned 
I think the one thing we could all hope for this weekend and this season, for that matter, is that Ferrari and Mercedes on, are on relatively even footing because the old question that we've wanted to know for roughly a decade now is who really is better between Hamilton and Vettel? And I think it would be that uh, would be glorious for everybody in the sport and outside of the sport trying to become a casual fan of it if we could get the old question answered this year. I think that would be wonderful. Well, interesting enough, the, the old question, who's better Vettel or Hamilton, uh, the answer is Alonzo, but that we'll never know. On a side note, I think Botas is, he's not going to be your Cal Naughton Jr. shake and bake, let me catapult you to the lead, Ricky Bobby. Uh, you know, Botas wants to win this championship in his first year with Mercedes. I think uh, that's going to ignite Lewis, and uh, Lewis is going to focus right back on racing. I think David Coulthard's comments that uh, Hamilton are gonna is gonna walk away from the sport in the middle of the season are unfounded in any kind of reality. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the only reason I bring this up about the Vettel thing is because with Richard alluding to the to the fire and the passion of, of beating Rosberg, I, I very much think a lot along those lines. Um, so I think that whenever you get somebody like Vettel in there that can rattle it up, you're gonna have media guys like me. Um, and and some other people in the sport uh, kind of trying to shake Hamilton up a little bit, and I think maybe that's where that motivation could come from um, and a little bit of that fire and be brought back. So um, I don't know. We'll see, though. Yeah, potentially. I think one of the things that last year happened that I you know, – I mean, I mean, I, I still know people that work at the Mercedes team that really got Hamilton, really, really got him last year was when – just before the start of the season, there's a lot of changes within the team personnel, who works for which team. You know, a lot of guys that had been successful with Hamilton went to work on Rosberg's car. And I don't think Hamilton was properly informed of that or told of what was happening. And he felt that he's, you know, he, he's been put out of place a little bit and he didn't like that. And again, that sort of fueled his motivation. And then at the start of the season, when he had all the reliability problems, again, that was just firing that fuel and, and making him want to win more than anything. And um, it'll be interesting to see how motivated he is because one thing's for sure, you cannot drive those cars at the limit that they need to be driven at if you're not motivated. I, I still solidly believe Lewis is one of the finest talents to ever step behind the wheel of a car. And uh, when, when the heat is on, he will deliver. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, you know, I mean, he, he's one of the rarest guys that we've had the pleasure of have, having an F1. And, you know, all the good ones are, are difficult to a degree. Uh, so we'll see how long that, that continues. But um, we'll get a chance to kind of segue in here. Um, we had the IndyCar test at Barber yesterday. And, um, you know, it's been roughly a week and a half since we had some IndyCar action in St. Pete uh, start the season. We've got another week and a half, two weeks to go before we see them in Long Beach. But, um, you know, there's some reason to hope that the pace that Honda had is for real. Um, you know, we saw them do really good things in, in St. Pete with Bourdais taking the victory. And in practice one, we saw Takuma Sato uh, lead uh, that practice. But everybody comes out for practice two. Uh, the combination of the session times really were taken over by what everybody did in, in the second practice, and it was led by Will Power. And, um, you know, Max Chilton, former led, F1 led guy. Led by Will Power on the final lap. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> and you got I'm Max saying, Chilton. I'm saying, like, like, like Will, Will Power snuck that fast lap in right at the end of the session. You, you mean he willed it? Hmm? 
He will. He will be. Yes, with his willpower. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we got the former F1 driver Max Chilton uh, running P2. Joseph Newgarden, newcomer over to Penske, now one race in. He's P3. Followed by Montoya, who is going to be running both races in the month of May, the GP of Indy as well as the Indy 500. He got a chance to get the nod in the two car over there, and uh, or the 22. I'm sorry. And then Marco Andretti rounded out the top five, uh, you know, seizing that for Andretti Autosport and kind of securing another Honda in the top five. But behind him was four Hondas with Sato, Scott Dixon, Hunter Ray, Graham Rahal, and. Uh, the defending champ Simon Pagano rounds out the top ten. So, uh, just briefly, we're, we're before we get to Long Beach and everything else. Um, you know, Chris, what's your takeaway whenever you had a chance to look at these test times, or at least look at the test results? Um, any impressions as we get ready for Barber here in a month? Well, it was great to see Montoya back in the car, but I was really surprised by Chilton. That's the biggest takeaway for me is that he he hasn't had as much time at barbers you know some of the other guys are that have been up there like sato and power and all but shilton did a great job at the test and quite frankly i'm i'm hoping he can keep that up to the race because it'd be great to see a former f1 driver actually you know do well there um it was great to see so many you know honda cars up near the top um i just hope that it's not a uh, temporary thing you know I mean, I think when I look at you, you had alluded to Chilton. Uh, to me, that's not so surprising when I look at what he did at Watkins Glen. And you look at those kind of tracks; they're comparable to what he had a chance to race on in Europe. So I feel like this is starting to fit his style. I'm actually shocked only because of the pace, because it's a Honda motor. Essentially, Chilton might as well be a rookie all over again because they had the Chevy power plant last year, Honda power plant this year. He's having to relearn everything, the timing of the engine and the shift points and and doing it on a track like Barber, um, we know is very physical. I mean, the lap times were over 122 miles an hour out there. So um, it's going to be something to see how the race turns out. But, um, you know, I, I think... Momentum is in IndyCar's favor when you get a chance to see how the season's shaking out and the variety that we're getting. And then you look at, uh, just you mentioned how physical Barber is, Alexander Rossi and Graham Rahal both had visor cams from um, Barber show up on their uh, respective social media feeds. Yes, they and you did. Can see, they were incredible to watch, too. Yeah. And, you th- and to think some people think these guys aren't athletes. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, Richard, do you get a chance to... to catch F1, or not F1, uh, IndyCar very much, uh, and see how some of these former F1 drivers do? Yeah, no, I do. I, I do follow it uh, quite closely, and probably, in all fairness, living uh, when I was living back in England, probably watched IndyCar more than uh, watched NASCAR. But uh, it, it's always good. You know, you follow the guys, the Montoyas, and Rubens Barrichello when he was over here, and Takuma Sato. I, I worked with Takuma back in 2006 when you were at Honda, and great guy. Really, really nice guy, and I'd love to see him do well, and uh, and the guys like that. And, you know, sometimes my only comment would be when you see a guy like Max Chilton doing well uh, in, in, in an IndyCar test or an IndyCar event, and, and this is not being disrespectful to IndyCar, you know, he wasn't the most competitive driver in Formula One out there. And he, he did struggle and he was, you know, uh, the laughing stock of the uh, Formula One paddock for, for quite a while. D- you know, is it almost playing down IndyCar's level when you see him being competitive uh, in there. After, you know, two sports that try to compare each other, when he's very weak in one and then starts being competitive in another, does that uh, question the competitive nature of IndyCar and the level some of these drivers are at? 
I mean, I would argue, and I, I, I know exactly the argument uh, that you're that you're going for. I would argue or dispute that by saying that Chip, with Chip Ganassi Racing, he's on one of the premier teams in IndyCar. And let I me mean, let's be honest, he was with Marussia, which you know, yes, Jules Bianchi, the late Jules Bianchi, um, managed to score points at at uh, Monaco that one time. But beyond that, they were an afterthought in a lot of ways at uh, NF1. So not the most competitive team, and for a long time they were running kind of like what Sauber gets now, an underpowered Ferrari engine for a long time, uh, usually a year old. So I don't know if that's a fair testament. I, there's so many talented drivers out there um, that, that don't even get a chance to grace F1, to be honest with you. Like, no disrespect, but this is going to be disrespectful, to, to the Jolly <laughs> and Palmers and the Marcus Ericsons of the world. Um, Sam Bird never got a real look. And he was a GP2 guy for a long time that, that had a wealth of talent, I think. Uh, there's Felipe Nasser, um, pretty much carried Sauber two years ago to, to an eighth-place finish in the constructor standings. And he's out of the sport right now because of a lack of funds, whether that's coming from Brazil or wherever else. Um, so it, I don't understand where the guys who aren't very competitive find the money. I don't know how I don't know how you find people that say, "Yeah, I'll buy India," even though you finish twentieth every week. But um, I, I need to learn how to do do that. But you know, I, I think that for Chilton, it's good to see the fact that he's in in a series that you could argue is the most competitive in the world with the versatility and the variables. And at a relative, let's be honest, compared to F one, the the cost and we had alluded this to to this last year or last week. I'm sorry. The cost that it takes to run an IndyCar program seven to ten million dollars per team, we know that that is pigeon food for F1 teams. So to get a chance to do that, I, you know, I I feel it's good to see drivers get a second chance and kind of rejuvenate a little bit. Maybe that's what's happened with Max. Richard, go ahead. All right, Richard, just to throw a little bit of a wild card. Um, you, you mentioned you watching F1 over, you know, watching IndyCar more than uh, NASCAR over there. How was it? You know, seeing these F1 drivers do moder- you know moderately good things over in IndyCar, like when you saw Sato win Long Beach 2013, I'm guessing you're very happy for him. Yeah, I mean it, it. It was great because having worked with these guys in Formula One, you're you're predominantly driven by the car that you're in. You know, 75% of a car of a, of a result is car based, and the, the the remainder is is, is driver based. So you have to be in a quick car to be competitive and. In IndyCar, I guess there's a far, it's a far more level playing field, and some of the strategies and some of the the way the races are managed with the uh, with the, the full course caution uh, setups rather than just the localized um, uh, localized caution setups that you do see t- you t- do tend to get more variable results. But uh, it is always good to see some of the guys, you know, the the guys that you have a, a soft spot for you know the 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 Rubenses and the, the Takuma Satas and guys like that. It, it's great to see them come over. And also, IndyCar was on a a TV station that was was relatively uh, available in the in the UK. NASCAR was on a premium channel, so the NASCAR viewing figures were very very low. I, I know Frank Sarasinus that we're up against the clock, so yeah, I'm going to try to. Yeah, we, we've got to keep within our time budget. So. But Joey, um, Joey, you got one more question for Richard before we move on to make our NASCAR picks and uh, gosh, we're in overtime. So it's time for a green, white checker. So go Joey. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to sum this up and hopefully get a summary for, for an answer is um, you, you've had a chance to be involved in F1. 
now you've been involved in NASCAR, and obviously you followed IndyCar very closely. When you get a chance to look at how NASCAR and Formula One have done, but you see the success—I I say the success moderately—but you see the rise of what IndyCar is starting to build. Do you feel like there's anything that that IndyCar can, or that any of those other two series, F1 and NASCAR, can really take from IndyCar and kind of maybe build into something a little bit better? I think of, of the three, IndyCar probably has the best product. I think the way that NASCAR markets itself is better than what IndyCar and Formula One does. Uh, I think the technology, obviously, in Formula One far far outreaches uh, anything the other two series has to offer. You, you almost get frustrated looking at IndyCar. They've got this great product with great races at some iconic tracks, and you just you think, how is it not more popular? Um, I think one of the things they could do, and I know there's a lot of um, politics involved in it, is go to some tracks. You know, they've started to go back to Watkins Glen. You know, get to the Circuit of the Americas, get to get to some of these great iconic road courses that you you have in this country, and uh, and open yourself up to that. Really connect with the fans again because it's a fantastic series and it's a fantastic product, and it's it's almost frustrating that it doesn't get the coverage that it deserves. Oh, it's absolutely frustrating. It's absolutely frustrating. Uh, But, you know, outside of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the biggest crowds um, that IndyCar attracted last year were at Mm Mid-Ohio, Long Beach, Mm -hmm. Watkins Glen, and... Road America. Road America, America. yes. I'm sorry, I drew a blank. And and let's not forget... Just like you said, the iconic road courses. Some of the best shows they put on are on the ovals, too. I mean, you know, they, they, they do a tremendous job, and... You talk about how competitive the series is. I was looking at the combined results of practice uh, for both sessions at uh, at Barber, and there's there's less than a second that separates twenty one cars, you know, in, in elapsed time. So I mean, that's right. And the, and the, the top that the speaks top, to the competitiveness. The top fourteen cars were with within a half a second. Right. That's what I'm saying, and that's that's yeah, a, so. that's, a, that's a that's a great feel there. All right, well, guys, like I said, we are up against the clock. I do want to remind you, you're listening to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. We've got just enough time in our green-white checker overtime to go around the table for NASCAR picks. Uh, Richard, I'm going to start with you. Who do you like for Auto Club Speedway? Well, if I I stick my uh, RCR cap on, uh, I think Austin's going to be quick there. I think he was, uh, I believe he was sat on pole there last year. Uh, you know he's got the quick quick car. He's quick ground there. You know they've obviously got a a bit of fire in the in the belly now after seeing the thirty one car uh, get that win, and they'd want that. But if I'm looking at it as a overall point of view, I think it's about time the twenty four car put a good weekend or a good race together. They've been quick in sections of the last few races, and if those guys can put you know a, a full race stint together, I think they'll be very very quick. Okay, Richard, you only get one pick, so oh, which, come which, on. which one you want? Uh, Flip 24, a point. 24. 24, all right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris, you're next. Well, I'm going to go for the uh, entrepreneur of NASCAR. I don't know if you saw this, but Kyle Busch is now selling Everything is Great t-shirts to benefit for his foundation. $22? For, for $22? For $22? Yep. So I'm going to go for uh, Kyle Busch this weekend, and I hope he wins one of those t-shirts in victory lane. All right. Uh, Joey, you're next. 
I know I said before the show, Kyle Larson was the guy that I was looking at. The more I thought about it, the more I feel like streaks that are three in a row of second-place finishes usually come to a halt. So uh, that said, I'm actually going to go with Clint Boyer. I, I think that the kind of sitting on the right rear tire and hanging it out a little bit and, and being the, having a chance to run multiple grooves, I actually think Clint Boyer is going to kind of sneak up in there. All right, and Gray, you got the next pick? I'm going to go with the 42, Bridesmaid No More. All right, there you go. Yep, he's very similar track to where he won his first uh, race. And I'm going to go with, I have no idea. Were we auto clock? I'm going to go with Jimmy Johnson. No, I'm going to go with Jimmy Johnson. You know what, I ought to go for Joey Logano for the crap he's taken over the last two weeks. Um, you know what, I'm going to go with Joey Logano. Because uh, that that dude has run strong week in and week out. If it not been for Kyle Busch taking him out every week, wow! <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. Um, you know, I want to thank Hoobazoo Radio never having us on. I want to thank you, Gray. I want to thank you, Chris. I want to thank you, Joey, Richard. I I'd like to thank you for coming on our show. You added so much to it. Uh, it was a great show tonight. Uh, I want to thank all our listeners. Um, we appreciate you a ton. We'll talk to you in a week, um, and we'll have a wrap-up from the first Formula One race. Good night, everybody. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.